You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, if you follow along with me. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, as we consider your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would Change us, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, alter the way that we see things in this world. Lord, give us a heavenly mindset, an eternal perspective. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Prior to his conversion, the Apostle Paul lived a life of self-righteousness. He was confident that he was going to heaven because of the fact that he kept the law of God meticulously. He trusted in his heritage, the fact that he was a Jew. He rested in his position as a Pharisee. He relished in his religious zeal. And all of these things were initially considered great assets in the life of Paul. But one day, Paul's life underwent a radical transformation. It was the day of his conversion. It was the day that he met Jesus. And when Jesus apprehended Paul on the road to Damascus, it was there that he surrendered his life to the Lord. And from that moment on, he would never be the same. All the things in life that he held in such high esteem had suddenly lost their appeal. All of the prior pursuits seemed to be vain. They just seemed pointless because Paul came to the realization that mere external religious ritualistic lifestyle wasn't sufficient to purchase his redemption. He now saw his self-righteousness that he clothed himself in as nothing but filthy rags. And on that day, there was this Blessed exchange, a glorious transaction. Paul chose to let go of the old life and to embrace the new life in Christ. And as a result, all the things that were gained to Paul, he now counted them as loss. Men, his entire value system had been changed by Christ. And there was a price to pay. Paul paid a price to surrender to the Lord in this way. But he felt that it was worth it to have the knowledge of Jesus, to have the righteousness of Jesus now imparted and imputed to him. It surpassed anything else in this world. 
In fact, to Paul, everything else that he had trusted in, he considered worthless in comparison to Christ. Now, someone look at Paul's life and they would say, you're a fool. You've lost everything. But Paul would speak up and he would say, on the contrary, actually, I've gained everything. In losing his life, that's when he found his life in Christ. And the longer that he walked with Jesus, the more he realized that the things of this world became less and less attractive to the point. Listen, he's writing this, folks, from a prison cell. He's writing it from a prison, and this is 30 years after his conversion. And he's still saying, even to this day, I wouldn't change a thing. I still count all of those things as rubbish. I don't look back and say, boy, I wish I still had that former life. No, I'm as great as I was the day that I got saved and my entire value system has been altered. He counted it as rubbish, as garbage in comparison to Christ. But not only had his value system changed, but listen, guys, his desires changed. The pursuit of his life had changed. Now that he had come to know Jesus, the pursuit, the passion of his life was wrapped up in one thing, to know Jesus more personally and more intimately. And that is why he writes in this passage that his desire was that I may know him. I don't want to just know about him. I don't just want to have facts theologically concerning him or know him as a historical figure. I want to truly know him. This was the passion. This was the pursuit of his life. The word know here, by the way, is a word that means to know by experience. It's the highest kind of learning that there is. And Paul had some amazing experiences with the Lord Jesus, not only on the road to Damascus, but even in the time of ministry in Acts chapter 18, when he was in in Corinth and he was struggling with all these people who were surrounding him and wanted to destroy his life. The Lord spoke to him personally and said, don't be afraid to speak. No one's going to hurt you. I have many people in this city. Paul talks about a time when he was caught up into the third heaven and he saw things that he was unable to articulate. He had many experiences with the Lord, but he wanted to go further. He wanted to go deeper. That was his passion. And I wonder, men, today, if that's our passion, if that's our desire, to know Jesus more today than yesterday, to get as close to him as we can. There are many men that settle for being acquainted with Jesus or aware of Jesus. But the man of God, the man of God is on an endless, consistent pursuit that ultimately leads to glory in the presence of the Lord. He wants to know him more. And I say, God, let that be my desire, to know you more today than I did yesterday. Is that my heart? The Apostle Paul describes the way in which he desired to know the Lord. With this desire to know Jesus, he also wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to become more and more like him, being transformed into his image. Paul tells us here in verse 10, first of all, that he wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection. The apostle Paul knew, obviously, about the resurrection of Christ. He preached about the resurrection of Jesus everywhere that he went. Because if there was no resurrection, there is no gospel. And by the way, men, if you don't know this, but I believe that you do... The resurrection sets Jesus apart from every other person who has ever come in their own name. It sets him apart from Muhammad. It sets him apart from Buddha. It sets him apart from every other self-acclaimed religious leader. They're all dead except for Jesus. He's alive and resurrected from the dead. 
And here he speaks, in addition to knowing the truth about the resurrection, he says, what I really want to know is the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He wanted that kind of power surging through his life as a Christian. Now, why was that so important for Paul to know? Because there is a struggle that every single man in this room faces, the struggle with the old life, the battle with the old self. And this can't be overcome by natural means. It's not by me trying harder. It's not by, by me doing this kind of work in and of myself. I don't have the power within myself to live a godly and holy life. There's enough flesh in every man here to ruin everything good that God is doing in our lives. Paul had learned by experience, by his own inability to be righteous in the sight of God. He knew he couldn't do it by himself. In fact, in Romans, he said very clearly, he said, what I want to do, the good that I will to do, I don't do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And it was a struggle for him. And he realized he needed a power outside of himself to enable him to overcome that which he was incapable of overcoming on his own. And therefore, Paul knew the only way to get beyond sin, the only way to overcome the flesh that can so easily beset us, you need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you remember in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And it was in his resurrection where the Father demonstrated to the extent of his power in raising Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates not just the power over the physical world, but also over the spiritual world. And the great display of power Jesus ever accomplished was his resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, that's the kind of power that I want to experience in my life. Now, in one sense, all true believers have experienced resurrection power when they were raised with Christ spiritually. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have died with Christ, but I've also been raised with Christ in a sense spiritually. I'm no longer the dead man that I used to be. Now I'm alive in Christ, no longer dead in trespasses and sin. And Paul, as one co-resurrected with Christ, he knew the power, the power to, he wanted the power to continue to be his resource. He wanted the resurrection power to conquer sin and temptation in order to serve Christ, in order to overcome trials, in order to be a witness for Jesus. Men, let me ask you this morning, do you desire the power of Christ's resurrection working in and through your life? Amen. Me too. Well, guess what? It's ours for the taking. Because the Bible tells us, and I love this passage of Scripture, and I hold on to it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Guys, that's power available to us this morning. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We used to sing a song when I was a boy. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ available to every man this morning. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he prayed that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us again later on in that same epistle, Paul said to the church, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
To live in the power of Christ's resurrection is to become more and more dead to the ways of the world and the lusts of the flesh and to become more like Jesus. It's through the power of Christ's resurrection that we can actually reckon the old man to be dead, dead to sin, alive to God through Jesus Christ. And man, I want you to know something this morning. There is such a difference when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. To have that empowering that Jesus promised. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. Jesus baptized the apostles with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still available even at the present time. Have you been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you had that coming upon, that Greek word epi, that coming upon experience where the Holy Spirit, it's not so much of how much of of the Holy Spirit do I have, but how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? The Bible says be continually being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is such a difference that the Holy Spirit makes in a life. I remember trying to live the Christian life in my own strength. If I just go to church enough, if I just read the Bible enough, if I just do these things, if I check these boxes, then that, that's going to do it for me. And then again, you can, you can accomplish certain things in and of yourself. But what a difference it was when the Holy Spirit came upon my life. Because now it was God's power working in and through me. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says to ask if you haven't, and you can do that. Paul wanted to know the power of his resurrection. Oh, but he wanted to know something else. He said, I also want to have the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, most of us here this morning would say yes and amen to the power of the resurrection. I don't know how many of us would say yes and amen and bring on the sufferings of Christ. I don't wake up in the morning and say, Lord, let's pray today as I start out that you just allow me to suffer for your sake. I never pray that prayer. I'm not that spiritual. But, but here Paul says, I want to know you in the deepest way possible. I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. The word fellowship means joint participation. It means partnership. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he told them, that there would be seasons when they would suffer for his name's sake and that they were to count it a blessing when they suffered for him. And they did. You come to the book of Acts, when they were beaten, they went out rejoicing, grateful that they were able to be counted worthy to suffer with Christ. When Paul's ministry began, imagine this, Paul gets saved and when he gets saved, the Lord tells him, hey, listen, I'm, I want to let you know right up front, you're going to suffer a lot for me just so you know. I mean, I think, Lord, maybe I, I don't want to be an apostle. I, I'd rather keep making tents. I don't want to do that, Lord. But this was something that Paul knew right up front. Later on, he would tell young Timothy, he was in the ministry, struggling with suffering. Paul gave him one of those precious promises that not a lot of people uh, write down uh, or put on a t-shirt. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's not one that you just grab hold of. When Peter was writing to the church that was struggling in his first epistle, he said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to test you as though some strange thing has happened, but rather rejoice that you get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Bottom line is Paul's declaring he wanted to be so united with Jesus that when he experienced hardship, when he experienced persecution that Jesus faced, that he would respond in the same way that Jesus did, that he would react in the same way that Jesus reacted. And by experiencing this in his life, it in turn would bring him into a deeper, more profound relationship and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. 
when you suffer through something personally, or you suffered alongside of someone else, when you endure hardship together, what happens in that experience? For one thing, it brings you closer to that person than you've ever been. You have both been through this. You have walked through this valley of the shadow of death together. And that experience in some way has united you like nothing else can. When you actually suffer with someone, when you walk through that with them, there is an intimacy, a fellowship, a joint participation that brings you so close. Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus in that way. In the depth of of his suffering, I want to know him in that experience. And Paul did. In fact, there was a time in his life when he wrote, you remember in 2 Corinthians, he said he had this thorn in the flesh and three times he prayed, God, please take this away from me. And the Lord responded and he said, Paul, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, you're going to be made strong. And then from that, Paul said, now most gladly, I, I, I rejoice in these things. I boast in my infirmities. Why? He said that the power of Christ may rest upon me and I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches in needs and persecutions in distress for Christ's sake because when I'm weak that's when I'm strong I wonder when we pray Lord make me like you do we mean it in the way that Paul meant it to be like him in all things to become like him to the point where we may not find the world we live in as friendly to us as we would like it to be But if we want to be closer to Jesus, if we knew that we could be closer to him through these things, would it be worth it? And the answer is yes, it would be worth it. To know Jesus in the power of his resurrection, but to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul said. But then also he said, he take it a step further. He said, I want to be conformed to his death. It's an interesting passage, an interesting phrase. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, the climactic moment of Jesus coming to the earth was to die upon the cross for the sins of the world. And as Christ died for the purpose of redeeming sinners, when Jesus went to the cross and all of the wrath of almighty God was poured out upon him without restraint as he took our place in that substitutionary position, dying on the cross for our sins, Paul was saying, I want to know Christ in that way. You know, Paul was willing to reach sinners and willing to die in order to reach them, whatever it took. His life, although it was not redemptive, he was willing to lay it on the line. Hudson Taylor, a man who was a missionary to the China Inland Mission, he said, there is a needs be for us to give ourselves for the life of the world. He said, fruit bearing involves cross bearing. Jesus said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And we know how the Lord Jesus became fruitful. Not by bearing his cross only, but by dying on it. Do we know much fellowship with him in this way? One person said there aren't two Christs. An easygoing Christ for easygoing Christians and a suffering, toiling Christ for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. And I wonder if I'm willing to abide in him in this way that I might bear more fruit for his glory. Let's face it, guys. We don't die easily. We don't die to ourselves easily. We struggle with that. We, want, we, we are very into preservation of our life. 
We don't easily lay down our life for our wife or for our kids. We got, we, you know, we're doing things. We got, they should lay down their life for us. And, and we're selfish by nature. And yet Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to die. You got to die to yourself. You got to be willing to lay your life down. Oh, sure, if there was someone coming with a gun and they were going to shoot my family, I would step in and I would lay my life down. Let me just say it's more practical than that. It may, that's, it, there are heroic opportunities, but there's a, lot, there's a lot more practical. How about do the dishes? Jesus would want, yeah, that's death. How about pick up your clothes? Oh, Lord Jesus, this is way too practical. Listen, this is death to self. These are just basic things. I mean, are you willing to die? You go home to your wife, and she says, what did you learn? I learned I need to die. And she'll be thankful. She's praying right now that, <laughs> that you would. But listen, guys, it's when we die, check this out, it's when we die that we experience resurrection power. You can't be resurrected if you're not dead. But when you die, that's when you experience the power of Christ's resurrection, dead to these things. And so Paul wanted to know Christ in this way, experiencing his life. It was his pursuit. It was his passion. But listen, Paul also understood that this, this was a process that we go through. It says here in verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, Paul states that he hadn't arrived at the end of his goal. He knew he wasn't perfected. God was still working in his life. And Paul didn't want to be misunderstood by those that he was writing to. He wasn't claiming that his conversion had brought him to his final goal. He wasn't already received everything that he was pursuing, all that he longed for. I mean, everything that he was aspiring to be. Paul understood clearly that there was this continuing process of sanctification in his life. Spiritual progress is essential. Paul knew that he was under construction. Like every single man in here, we're all under construction. Sometimes construction sites can be very dangerous. Jesus Jesus is the one who began the work in us. Jesus is the one that's going to complete the work in us. And it's just not done until it's done. And it's not going to be done until we're in heaven. And we're going to see him as he is. And we're going to be like him, the Bible says. Until that time, we are in process. And the question is whether or not we're going to yield to the process. You can fight the process, but it will hinder the work. Or you can yield to the process like we sang today. And I surrender. And it's easy to sing that, I find. I surrender all. Mostly in reality, it's sometimes I think it's more like we surrender some. I sur- it just doesn't fit with the lyric, but, you know, I surrender when it's convenient. I surrender when I want to. But the Lord's saying, I want you to surrender all. There are no shortcuts, men. Listen, no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. Paul says, in light of this process that I'm in, you know what I'm doing? I'm pressing forward. I'm pressing on. It's an interesting word. The word press means to move quickly and energetically towards some objective. It literally pictures vigorous activity. And Paul uses this 
in what's called the active voice, meaning that it's a choice that he makes. No one's forcing him to do this. This is something that he wants to do. He's pursuing it. He's going after it. It's in the present tense. He's continually exerting effort and energy to forge ahead. In Paul's mind, he has this picture of a runner. He's running a race. He's just running with everything that he has within him. And he he keeps up. He keeps pressing toward this fixed goal. That's how Paul saw his life. He pursued sanctification and in essence pursued Jesus with everything that was in him, straining every spiritual muscle that he had in order to win the prize. That was his goal. That was his passion. Paul's past, if you look at Paul's past, his testimony before he knew Christ, it was nothing but misdirected, misguided zeal. But now all of that zeal that Paul had previously after things that were ungodly and unrighteous, now all of that zeal had been harnessed by the Holy Spirit to achieve the purpose for which God had taken hold of Paul's life. It's suddenly all the zeal is now going in the right direction. And in the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. True believers aren't in heaven yet. We're not there yet. We're continually, that's our aim, that's our direction, that's our pursuit. But the question is, do we pursue the Lord in that way with that kind of zeal? Think for a moment, and don't think too long about it, but you remember who you were, where you were before Jesus got a hold of your life. And I'll just for a minute, all the zeal, all the resources, all the time, all the planning that we did to sin. I mean, there's a lot of money spent, a lot of planning that went into it, a lot of zeal, a lot of effort, a lot of late nights, a lot of sacrifices made to sin. Think about that, all that energy. Listen, if all of that energy could now be placed and harnessed towards spiritual things, what would our Christian life look like? I mean, what what would it be like if we took that same zeal when we were pursuing the things of the flesh and we pursued the things of the spirit? What kind of men would we be? We'd be men on fire for Jesus Christ. That's the kind of men we want to be, pursuing the Lord with everything that we have. God doesn't want us to be content, guys, with, with, with ourselves in the sense that I'm content with Jesus, but I'm not content with me. There's still things that God needs to do in my life. I'm not resting and just, just reaching some plateau. I want to I continue to go further. I want to be more like Jesus. And this is a process. And if I think I've arrived, I need to think again. As Paul is stretching forward here with all of his might, the purpose of pressing on is to lay hold of Jesus. And again, this, this word is also powerful. It means grabbing hold of something and seizing it and making it your possession. What Paul wants to appropriate and make his own is that for which Christ caught Paul and made him his own. Jesus had apprehended Paul and and he belonged to him. Paul said, I want to apprehend the Lord in that way. I, I want to experience that with him. I want to take hold of Jesus in that way. And in this process, Paul says, listen, I, I don't, I love verse 13. I don't count myself. I don't count myself to have apprehended But one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is my desire. This is my pursuit. I haven't achieved it. But this is the goal that I have in mind. One thing I do. You think about that phrase oftentimes in the scriptures. One thing. The psalmist said, one thing I've desired and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This This is the one thing. I think about when Mary poured out her worship upon the Lord in the form of that fragrance. And Jesus talked about the one thing that she had done. And, and here Paul is saying, there's, there's one thing that I do, and I'm pursuing after it. 
But in order to be able to pursue after this one thing, there was something that had to be left behind. And that which had to be left behind was the past. Paul said, I am forgetting those things which are in the past. Now, you might be able to say up to this point, listen, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I agree with that. I I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. I I want to know even the fellowship of his suffering, if it means I'm going to be closer to him. But then Paul says this, I'm forgetting the past. And maybe that's the thing that's holding you back. You know, there are people today who do not go forward in their walk with the Lord because they hold on to the past. You know, you can't go forward while you're looking back. I mean, effectively. You can't press into the new life in Christ while trying to live the old life in the world. Jesus said it. You can't serve two masters. You have to decide who you're going to. To serve. You can't live in two places at one time. You have to make that decision because you're going to have a a divided heart. You're going to be disloyal one way or the other. So the decision has to be made. Every single man has to make that decision who it is that they're going to serve. And if you are holding on to the past, then you are not going to be able to go forward in the future. Jesus said, whoever has put his hands to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom. If you put your hands to the plow, then you got to plow straight. You can't be looking back and holding on to the past. I think of Lot's wife. You remember that passage in the scripture? Remember Lot's wife? If you never memorized the verse, that can be your first one. Remember Lot's wife. Maybe a second one. Jesus wept. Two verses I memorized. I mean, this is good stuff. But here's the thing. The point is, Lot's wife, as they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, they were warned, do not look back. And she looked back. And it seems to imply that she looked back with eyes of longing. And immediately she was turned into a pillar of salt. She was unable to go forward. As she looked back to the past. It's a funny thing about the past, isn't it, guys? The older we get, the greater we were. It's just funny. (laughs) The more touchdowns you scored, the more fights you were in. Your story, your legacy, it just seems to get better with age. Probably because of senility. I mean, it's setting in. You you lost your mind. But, you know, you're just telling people these things about yourself making stuff up and believing it. Listen, some people don't go forward in the present because they are holding on to the past. Paul said, I got, I have to drop this. But not only do some not go forward because they hold on to the past. Listen to this, guys. Other people don't go forward because they are hindered by their past. They can't, they, they can't get over the mistakes they've made, the people that they've hurt, the things that they've done. You talk about a past, think about Paul's life. I mean, this guy was imprisoning Families, separating families. He held the coats of those who put to death the first martyr whose name was Stephen. This man had a past, but he says here, you know what I'm doing now? I'm I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm continuing to press forward to those things which are ahead. And forgetting, this word forgetting doesn't mean that it's obliterated from his memory, but there is a conscious refusal to let the past absorb his attention and impede his progress. I'm not going to live back there anymore because that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new man in Christ. Old things are passed away. And people who say, well, I'm an alcoholic. Listen, if you're a Christian... You're a child of God. You are no longer, you don't have to be tapped into that anymore. Well, I'm a drug addict. Not if you're born again. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And don't let anybody tell you differently. 
Paul is saying in essence here, keep your focus. Don't look back. Don't allow the things of what happened in the past to continue to affect you in the present. Yes, there may be consequences. And yes, there are difficulties that we're going to face. But listen, I'll tell you one thing I praise God for. I understand that I'm not what I should be yet. But I praise God that I'm not what I used to be. (laughs) I just praise him for that. If you're hindered by your past mistakes here this morning, guys, I've got great news for you. Jesus died to forgive you of your past. And the blood of Christ can cleanse you from all sin. Whatever's happened in the past is in the past. He doesn't hold it over you today. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't hold over me the past. He forgives. He doesn't condemn. The former things are passed away. Listen to what God says in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The Bible says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He's forgiven it, guys. I'm so glad it doesn't say from the north to the south because they would meet somewhere. The east is from the west. It just goes on and on. Therefore, it stands to reason that if I've been forgiven by Jesus for my past, and if he has said in his word that he chooses not to remember my sins anymore, then who is it that's bringing it back up all the time and reminding me of it and condemning me? The devil. The devil, he's the one. Listen, guys, I love this. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And that'll take care of it. (laughs) As I choose to forget the past, I can press on. Paul says here, now I am reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Reaching means, to again, to extend, to stretch out. It literally means to overextend oneself. It's found only here in Scripture, this particular word, and it means to stretch one's muscles to the limit, attempting energetically to attain a state or condition. And the verb was used to describe a runner, again, who stretches out his neck in order to cross the tape. Paul said, just like, if you could imagine him, every single thing in his, in his life, spiritually speaking, was just reaching for more of Jesus, reaching for more of what the Lord has. And Paul was going after these things. He was pressing on to these things. He was running after these things. This was his pursuit. And guys, what I want to do is I want to ask you the question this morning. What's your pursuit? What gets you up in the morning? What is it that drives you? What is it that you're ultimately living for? Because if it's only here and it's temporary, it's temporary. We want to live for more than just what we can see. We want to live for the things that are eternal. We want to be like Abraham. It says he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We want to live for something that, that, that is not temporary, but that is eternal. The things that are unseen are the things that we need to see. And we see that with eyes of faith. And the question is, is that what's driving me? Is that what is that what is pursuing me? Because everything in this world is trying to lock me down here. Everything in this world is trying to tether me to the things that are temporal. And I realize that only through the pursuit of Christ... Can I break free of those things? And only through the power of the Spirit does my mindset change? Does my value system change? Do I realize that there is more than my existence here? There is eternity. And Paul knew this. And it says here, if you look down just a few more verses, if you look down to verse 20, 
I love this, and I think this is another thing that set Paul on his course to run the way that he did. He said, for our citizenship is in heaven, which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul said, I am counting all things loss. I am pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be found in him, having his righteousness imparted to me. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm pressing toward this goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And all of this I realize because my citizenship ultimately is in heaven. It is in heaven right now. If you're a child of God, your citizenship, although you are a citizen of the United States of America, really, ultimately, your citizenship is in heaven. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We are here temporarily. And guys, listen, it's a matter of time before all the ambassadors get called home. And I think we are closer than we have ever been to the return of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many things I've seen, and you've probably seen it as well, in the news. Where, and, and there's this phrase that is attached to every single thing that's happening. Right now in California, we are on fire. And I mean literally burning all over. Towns completely devastated. Homes. And they say it is the worst fire in the history of California. We just had a shooting in Thousand Oaks. A terrible shooting. We, you just had a, a shooting here in a synagogue. And they said it's the worst. When I read that article, it was the worst shooting and, and action against the Jews in the history of the United States. What I'm telling you, this is the worst natural disaster. This is the worst we've ever seen. We've never seen anything like this. This is the worst. We've, guys, what I'm telling you is this. It means that Jesus is coming soon. The fact that things are increasing and intensifying and heating up the way that they are, whether they be politically, globally, any other way, listen, it means that he is on the move. He is on his way. Guys, we need to be living in such a way that we're pursuing Christ. We don't have a lot of time. Time is of the essence. Time is limited. Life is a vapor. And so we want to run hard. We want to have something to show for it all. We don't want to just kind of meander through this thing and just, you know, when it's convenient, show up and get serious when we feel like it. No, we want to be men that have this kind of pursuit. And I think if anything, I can emphasize today that this would be our pursuit. This would be our drive, looking for, waiting for, pursuing Jesus and waiting for his return because he's coming and we're eagerly waiting for him. And I wonder if there are men here today and I, I believe that there are. That you're saying, Lord, I, I want to be eagerly waiting for you to return. I want to be looking for your return. Lord, put eternity in my heart, Lord. I'm longing for the day. Jesus, you remember, he said it, guys. And it was a promise. And he'll make good on it. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Guys, he's prepared a place. He's coming for us. And what do we do in the meantime? What do you do with all of the things that are going on in this world? You, you, just, you just pursue Jesus. You just pursue Jesus. You run after Jesus. You get close to Jesus. You lead your family to Jesus. As we were exhorted last night, you read your Bible. You draw near to Jesus. And, and these are the things that God is going to use. And you tell people about Jesus. Paul said, this is my desire. This is my pursuit. 
This is the power that I want resting upon my life. Men, I want to ask you today, in conclusion, as I said earlier, have you been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you, you, certainly you've been saved. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He seals us. He sanctifies us. But also there is an empowering. He'll be with you, Jesus said. He'll be in you. But he also wants to come upon you. I wonder if, men, you have been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was a younger man, I remember, again, seeking to live a Christian life in my own strength. And it was one day in a high school chapel. I was 18 years old. And as the chapel concluded, there were... Some people that came up and they said, hey, listen, today after the chapel, we, we want to pray. If anybody would like to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to come stick around. We're going to pray for you. And they described it. And I thought, well, if there's more of Jesus to have, if there's, if there's power, I, I recognize my need for it. I, I desire that. And so there was just a handful of kids that stayed after the chapel service. And I went down front. And I was there, and, and these people came out. They, they, just normal people. I, I actually haven't seen these people again since that time. I was, and but when they came up, they said, "Okay, we're going to pray for you guys." And there wasn't any flash. There wasn't any hype. No one was, you know, blowing on our face or pushing us down or, you know, uh, doing. It was so. There, there was just no hype. It's very simple. And so we came up, and I honestly, I, I mean, I, I, I hadn't, I didn't have much faith. But I just came and thought, well, if, if it's there, I want to receive it. And so I remember going down, and, and, and I just, uh, and I didn't expect anything to happen. And so they just prayed a simple, I'm, I'm telling you, it was simple prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to baptize us kids. And guys, the Holy Spirit fell upon my life. And I mean radically cha- transformed an 18-year-old kid. I mean, change, I, I, I <laughs> I look back, I can still look back and I remember that moment. I mean, it's, I talk about it, it's like, whew, it just hits me because it's still, the reality of it at 46 is still real. I still feel the impact of that day when the Spirit of God came upon my life and empowered me just to, to follow Jesus. And guys, listen, if you've never experience that if you have never been baptized with the holy spirit too many people trying to live the christian life apart from being plugged into the power source which is the holy spirit you don't have to do it on your own and if that's something you desire i just want to pray a simple prayer for you today to be baptized with the power of the holy spirit and listen you would know if you'd experienced it so if that's you would you stand to your feet I want to pray for you as we close out today. If you've never been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit and you'd like to receive that today. Man, imagine all these guys baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's exciting? Is that Jesus said it was a gift. It was a gift. And and you know what the prerequisite for the Holy Spirit was? Check this out. Just ask. That's it. I don't have to do anything. No, just ask. Just ask. As a father loves to give good gifts to his children, so will the, the, the Lord give, the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And here you guys are standing in faith. I am blown away. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you, brothers, if you see these guys standing around, as we did earlier, would you lay your hands on them? And I'm going I'm to pray for these guys. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to ask, because this is, guys, this is something... This is where Jesus does the baptizing. 
John said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He does the baptizing. So let's pray. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Father, we come before you in humility. God, you know what we are. You knew what we were, Lord, when you saved us, when you bought us with your blood. And you love us, Lord. And you never meant for us to live this life apart from the power that you supplied, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And so, Lord, for those men today who stood to their feet and acknowledged their need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord, all that that means and everything that your word tells us it means, I pray in faith, Lord, that you would baptize these men right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, that the giftings of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit would come upon them, that, Lord, they would know from this day forward that they were baptized with the Spirit. I just encourage you, men, in the quietness of your heart, by faith, just say, Lord, I receive it. I receive it. Just thank him for it. Do that work now, Lord. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory, Lord. And let these men also, as they go from this place, Lord, may they see the fruits of the Spirit in their life. We thank you, Lord. Pray that you would be our pursuit, our passion, our desire, our one thing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, man. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting a dailywalk.org.